Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. Thanks for getting up and coming here. If you're a guest, thanks for trying our church. If you came back, it's on you. Still happy that you're here. I don't know. I feel a little down myself today. I don't know if it's the barometric pressure or uh, the lack of degrees and the wind. I don't know. It's kind of cold and blech. But welcome to Indiana. If you're new to Indiana, this is who we are. We live with this all the time. We're in Philippians chapter 2. If you uh, have a Bible, page 981, if you're following along with one of the chair Bibles. And uh, I was thinking about uh, this passage. We're kind of languishing here, right? I mean, uh, we've been looking at this passage for uh, three or four weeks now, and and, uh, I was uh, trying to think about why we decided to do that. And here's what we're what we're thinking about is this, we need to get Jesus right. So this passage is all about our Lord and it tells us stuff about him that we don't see anywhere else in the New Testament. And, and we just thought, man, we need to slow down here and make sure we get this right. Because if we don't get this right, we're going to live incorrectly. If we miss him, get him incorrect, we're going to be in trouble. We're just singing that he is our living hope. We better get that right. Because we need to hold on to that hope. I don't know if you've been around, but we need a little hope uh, in this world. So um, this, this passage in Philippians 2 is a very famous uh, passage about our Lord and tells us things about him we don't get anywhere else in the Bible. Now, there is an ethical understanding to this text, and, and we have emphasized that, but let me at least point it out again in verse 5, which says, "...have this mind among yourselves which is in Christ Jesus." which is yours in Christ Jesus, excuse me. And the idea then is we're supposed to think about life the way he thought about life. And uh, so uh, last week Luke talked about uh, the humiliation of Christ, and that factors into how we're supposed to view life as well. Today I get to talk about the exaltation in Christ, which is uh, the, uh, how, how you face life in the midst of the humiliation. You hang on to the hope of exaltation, and the reality that God is going to do that. That ethical standard is there, and uh, we don't want to miss that because that's really the main point. But there's also information about Jesus that we don't find anywhere else in the New Testament. Uh, And we just felt it was wise for us to stop and ponder some of these great theological truths uh, about our Lord. Um, I've had the great privilege a couple of times of being in one of the finest art museums in the world in St. Petersburg, Russia. It's called the Hermitage. And other than the Louvre in Paris, it is probably the leading art uh, museum on the planet. And when you go there, you get face-to-face with a Rembrandt and a Monet and a Picasso and a Van Gogh. And they have his ear. No, they really don't have his ear in a little box. Um, and when you stand in front of one of those masterpieces of art, you don't want to leave. You want to stare at it. You want to drink in the details of it. You want to let it continue to speak to you. And I'm not even an artist. I'm from New Haven. We don't know anything about art in New Haven. Um, art to us was a mural on the side of Coney Island. That was art. I feel like I offended both New Haven people who are here. So I lived there my whole life. If I want to make fun of me, I will do that at will, just so you know. 
So I'm not saying I'm some big art aficionado, but when I was in that museum and I stood before a, a masterpiece by Rembrandt, I didn't want to move. I just wanted to gaze at it and think about it and let its beauty pour out over my body. This passage about Jesus is a masterpiece painting of who he is. And so it behooves us to stop, go slow, and let its words brush across our lives so that we do not miss him above all things. We have to get this right, you guys. I think we're called Christians. Right? Am I right about that? Thank you, Austin. You're the only person awake in the room who's following. We're called Christians. We probably better have Jesus right in our understanding. The better we understand him, I think the better we will live on this earth. And in fact, uh, this text tells us we're supposed to have the same mind that he has. So we ought to understand how he approached things. Now, now look, we, we open the passage and there is a descending move by Christ. He existed in the form of God in verse 6. Jesus existed in the form of God, but by verse 8, he took on the form of a human. Think about the descent of Christ at that point where being in the form of God did not mean that he held on to that, but quite the opposite, willing to let go of that, he descends into human form. And you'll notice not just human form, but in verse um, uh, 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So he didn't just come as a human being, he came as a slave. He didn't just come as a slave, he came as someone who was a criminal and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. We cannot miss him. He goes from the form of God to the form of a criminal convicted, sentenced, and executed by the very people he created. That's amazing. We need to comprehend that and understand that. All of that is here to accomplish the mission of God himself. And that mission is to rescue the nations from their sinfulness. Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, uh, they are building the tower, and they said, we're going to be like God. We're going to reach to the heavens, and God said, this is not good. They're not going to seek me if they can seek themselves, so he scatters them. He begins gathering them in the very next chapter where he calls a guy named Abram and says, you're going to be the father of many nations. That carries all the way through the rest of the Bible and unpacks itself all the way in the book of Revelation where the people from every tribe, tongue, and nation sing the praise of the Lamb of God who came to rescue them from their sins. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is why he emptied himself. This is why, having the form of God, he became the form of a servant, becoming obedient even unto death. Jesus himself even said he came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. He came to give his life a ransom for many, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is an 
compelling picture of a Savior, isn't it? It is a compelling description of the love of God for you. And God doesn't want you to ever forget it. Because you're going to need to know you're loved in a world that may not feel so great about you. In a world filled with disease and disaster and hostility, to know that the creator of all things has love for you, that's a precious piece of knowledge that you should never let go of. And when you open this passage, you go, you're kidding, he was He was in the form of God, but he became a man. He was in the form of God, but he became a slave. He was in the form of God, but he became a a criminal that's convicted of, of a crime so great he was worthy of death. And he did that because he loved. That's amazing. I can't, you've got to hold on to that, you guys. But I've got news for you. God never intended him to stay on the cross. God never intended for him to stay in the grave. God never intended for him to be buried forever. And I get to tell you the next chapter of this amazing Savior of yours, Jesus Christ. And it's found in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, which says, Therefore God highly exalted him, And bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Shouldn't you be cheering or something? That's pretty good news, right? In other words, God never intended for him to just come and pay the price for our sins. He came to confirm the price paid by rising from the dead and giving us the hope that Tom just read and you were just singing about. He is the living hope for us. We need to understand that in a day of great sorrow, great confusion, and very little good to think about. Yuck, it's called the evening news. Part of me wants to take a little survey and say, how many of you have decided to not watch the news anymore? And look, look, everybody, we're done. We don't want to hear anymore. You've piled up enough evil around us. We're just like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to hear about it. I'm trying to survive it. And here comes our Lord conquering the most evil thing of all, death itself, and then being raised from the dead, exalted by God himself, so that you and I have a living hope. We were just singing about it. A living hope. Not a make-believe hope, not a hopeful hope, a living hope. Well, I want to go into the details of it with you if you don't mind. And if you do mind, I'm going to go into the details of it anyhow. So starting in verse 9, the Bible says that God has highly exalted him. Um, 
It is an interesting uh, word. I think Paul made it up. Paul makes up words sometimes when he is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let's say the Holy Spirit makes up words, takes Greek words and just slaps them together. This word means to be lifted up. Jesus used it to describe himself in John 8 and John chapter 12 of his crucifixion where he said, if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. You can go look it up in John chapter 8 and John chapter 12. And, and it, it is used to describe then the Roman crucifixion that Jesus was going to experience. But in this context, interestingly, that word for lifted up has another word attached to it. He was hyper lifted up. That's literally what it says. So even though he was lifted up by the Roman soldiers to die for our sins, his heavenly father hyper lifted him up. You'll notice in the text that it says he was highly exalted. That's the, the translators grappling, trying to find the right phrase to come across this word. And, 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 and it's hard to, to bring into the English. And so Jesus fulfills his earthly mission by being lifted up by Roman soldiers. And then God comes along and hyper lifts him up beyond what man has done to him. He is exalted above all things. Now, the text doesn't tell us the process of that, but I want to give it to you so that you can wrap your mind on what it means for God to hyper-exalt our Lord. And it starts with three things. The first is the resurrection. So let's go to Acts chapter 2, page 910. And we're going to be bouncing around in our Bibles here a little bit. Um, again, if you're a guest, so grateful that you're here. Our habit is to uh, open the book here and try to figure it out. And um, rather than me just telling you what's in the Bible, I want you to read it yourself uh, because it's more powerful than any words I can say. And so we'll go to the passages and take time to read them uh, and hopefully find uh, the truth behind them. So this is Acts chapter 2. This is a Peter's first sermon after the Holy Spirit comes on him there in Pentecost. And <clears throat> verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and you crucified and killed him by lawless men. Now that's, a, that's quite an introduction to a sermon, isn't it? I'm just going to make all of you mad right out of the box. You're a bunch of low-down, no-good murderers is what you are. Verse 24, God raised him up. You killed him. You crucified him. You got no good, no account, lawless people to put him in the grave. And God raised him up. Watch this. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's a powerful sermon. I wish I'd have preached that sermon. Peter's going. You're like, yeah, go, buddy. 
There's, there's something special here that's never been proclaimed before. Death just lost for the first time. In fact, Christ was so powerful, death had no chance when it came to him. He, it, it, it couldn't hold him in any way, shape, or form. Let's fast forward to verse 32, same sermon. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit He poured out on us, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. David did not ascend to the heavens. For he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you've crucified. Oh, God has hyper-lifted him up, hasn't he? He reached down into that tomb and raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead and brought him and exalted him to his right hand. Oh, that's a hyper-exaltation, isn't it? That's not just some man-made lifting up. This is something that the hand of God did himself. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, page 939. <clears throat> this resurrection then becomes a critical component to your and my faith. Verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's note how frequently His Lordship is tied to His resurrection and His exaltation. It is at the finishing of his earthly work where he is exalted that we realize that he is not just a man he is raised as lord it is proof that all that he said was true it is proof that all that he did was accurate it is proof that he is worthy of your faith he rose he is raised he is exalted by the father First uh, Peter chapter 1, you might have heard of this passage sometime recently. Do you remember the page number, Tom? 1014. Tom's right on his game back there. He just read it for us. He and I did not communicate that he should read that passage. It's always interesting when the Lord kind of crafts a service that you didn't know he was going to craft. You kind of step back and go... Oh, that was way better than I would have thought up. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As God hyper-lifts Jesus up, He hyper-lifts us up. As He raises Him and conquers the death, He fills us with a living hope. We must understand that as this exaltation takes place, it has ramifications for our life. The resurrection of Christ is so critical we cannot overstate it. 
Now, step two. God did not just raise him from the dead to leave him on earth. And so the next step of this uh, uh, movement up, this exaltation, this hyperlifting, is what we call the ascension. Jesus did not stay on this earth after he was resurrected. He then went to the Father. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. This is page 909. Page 909. This is a truth that I don't know that we in the church have done a great job of appreciating the importance of the ascension of Christ. So verse 1 of Acts 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That was the Gospel of Luke. Um, we recently studied that, you might remember. It took, uh, what, two, three weeks to get through. I, were we in there a couple years? I think it was a couple years, anyhow. Um, until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus raises from the dead. He is hyper-exalted by God. He's on earth now. The grave's empty, but he's still wandering around. For 40 days, the Bible says, and he's telling folks, and he's talking to folks, and he's commissioning folks. Drop down to verse 8, and he says to them, you will receive, this is Jesus, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a great cloud took him out of sight. They were gazing in heaven where he went, and the two men stood by them in white robes and said, What are you doing? Why are you looking up? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascension of Christ is so essential to our faith as he not only rises from the dead and conquers the grave, he is then exalted to the right hand of God the Father. He ascends into the very heavens from which he came, right? Remember, existing in the form of God, he now returns to what he was, and he lifts himself up. Now, this is critical for the, the uh, statements and the life of Christ to understand this. In fact, I want to show you something. If you'll go to Matthew chapter 26, page 833, um, before any of this happened, Jesus said it was going to happen. When he did that, the religious leaders said, I don't think so. Okay, this is Matthew 26, verse 63. I love hearing the pages. Thank you for flipping them around. Are you tired of me saying that? It's okay, I'm going to keep saying it, I don't care if you're tired of it. Okay, but Jesus remained silent, they're interrogating him, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, if anybody else says that, you're going to go... We probably ought to get him some medication or, or, or some counseling or at the, at maybe a little room with a lot of padding and we'll slide the meals in under the door because he's obviously lost his mind. The high priest, look how he reacts. Tears his robes, 
and he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. And they spit on his face and they struck him. And some slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? See, Jesus just prophesied the future. Well, then we'll just pound your face and see if you can tell us who it was. It is interesting when Jesus makes this claim that their response is, we'll see about that. You think you're going to the right hand of the Father? We'll show you. We're going to kill you. And they did. And they totally misunderstood the greatness of the Son of God. For when they killed him, they offered a perfect sacrifice for human sins. And then God hyper-exalted him. And he lifted him up in ways he'd, no one had ever been lifted up before. These guys were certain to make sure that wasn't going to happen. This is not happening on our watch. You watch. We'll take care of you. And they go spit on him. And they pound him. And they mock him. And then they crucify him. And he rises from the dead and does exactly what he said he was going to do. And when he does that, we step back at the ascension and go, whoa. This is not just some ordinary dude. Mm -mm. God's up to something here. Now, you guys, this ascension, this movement to the right hand of God helps explain to us Jesus in his person. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, page 992. How you doing? You all hanging in there? This is pretty good stuff, right? I bet you're glad you overcame the barometric pressure, came to church, because you need some good news. If you're going to tune out the news channels, tune in to God's news. Okay. Verse 16, 1 Timothy 3 says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Are you ready? Here it is. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. The mystery of our Lord, the mystery of our faith is found in the fact that Christ didn't just die for your sins. He was exalted back to the heavens from which he came. This is the mystery of our faith. This is the hope of the resurrection. This is what we live for and this is what we trust in when we die. Um, I, I said a moment ago that if we don't get Jesus right, we're not going to live correctly. Well, I can tell you this for sure. If you don't get Jesus right, you're definitely not going to die correctly. But if you get him right, you now have the mystery of godliness right here at your fingertips, taken back to glory. I, I take you back to Acts chapter 2. I already read it once, but let's go back there again and hear Peter's words one more time. Because when he was raised, verse 32 uh, they received it. In verse 34, David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Oh, man. God took all of his enemies and put them at his feet. And they now are, are in a submissive position to him. You see, the ascension shows Jesus' triumph. It shows the mystery of godliness. It affirms the very words he said about himself and shows us that he was more than just a man. That's not the end. Step three in the process, the coronation. He gets to the right hand of the Father, and what happens? Ephesians chapter 1, page 976. Ah, where is that rascally book? Page 976, that's where it is. What am I saying? I don't have that Bible in my hands. <clears throat> Verse 20. Uh, he, that, uh, his might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now, what's he doing there? He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he's put everything under his feet. He made him king. And in the book of Revelation, when when John gives us a glimpse into the future in Revelation chapter 19, again, page, uh, let me find it, 1040 in Revelation 19, this amazing picture of the resurrected Christ coming back to earth. And it says in verse 11 there, it says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, there was a white horse, and the one who is sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows. And he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name in which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword which will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of his fury and the wrath of God, and on his robe and on his thigh his name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Your crucified Savior did not stay in that tomb. Oh no, God reached down and raised him from the dead. He did not stay on earth either. Oh no, God elevated him to the heavens. He didn't just take him to heaven. He made him the ruler of all things. Kind of feels like a hyper exaltation, doesn't it? And all of that drives us to the place where we go, whoa. Resurrection, ascension, coronation, Savior. I don't know about you, but I like being on the winning team. You guys like winning? I'm kind of a fan. 
your Savior is Lord of Lords right now. Your Savior is King of Kings right now. And though the nations gather, and though they rumble, and they curse, and though they gather together and say, we are mighty and powerful, he laughs at them. They're like grasshoppers, Isaiah said in chapter 40. They're nothing burgers, you guys. And we will not fear for them. What did Martin Luther say? For the right man is on our side, the man of God's own choosing, right? Your Savior, Lord and King of all, hyper-exalted, that's what our Bible's telling us about him. It's an amazing thing. Now, that's the exaltation of God, but God had some statements made also. So we go back to Philippians chapter 2, and, and he, he uh, was um, highly exalted. There are two verbs in the whole passage. That was one of them. Here's the second verb. And God bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So there's a declaration of God, and the content of that declaration is that Christ has given a name that's above every name. A lot of ink spilled here, you guys. What's the name that he was given? Is it Jesus? I would suggest to you, and you can go back to the Gospel of Luke and reread the birth narrative of Jesus, and you'll find that Jesus was the name that he had in his humiliation stage. That was his earthly name. But the name above all names, I think, in this passage is the name Lord and you'll notice as we've gone through the passages, the coronation and the ascension and the resurrection, they all prove that he is Christ the Lord. And that name puts him above every other name that there is. Let me show you something. Isaiah chapter 45, page 607. This exact phraseology is used by the prophet Isaiah to describe God in the Old Testament. So interesting. Verse 23 of Isaiah 45 says, this is God talking, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Sound familiar? Now go back just to verse 18 in the same chapter. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. You can drop down to verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. And then he gives the passage we just read. These are the exact words that are used to describe Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, that are used to describe the living God in Isaiah chapter 45. Guess what? Jesus is the Lord of Isaiah 45. There is no one higher than him. He has been highly exalted. He has been hyper-lifted up. The name that he has been given is Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, parenthetically, we frequently use, just a little side note, 
we frequently use sometimes in our testimonies about our Christian walk that we accepted Jesus as Savior, but not as we made him Lord later. I would beg you to stop saying that. Let me tell you something. He's Lord whether you agree with it or not. He's Lord over all things. We're going to get to that in a minute. The extent of this is unbelievable. The Bible doesn't leave any wiggle room for anything not to be under his lordship. So he's already Lord. You can choose to submit to his lordship or not, but you can't make him Lord. God elevated him and exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. There's no other name like him. None. Now, the extent of the declaration is, is parceled out in the passage. He's been given a name that's above every name. So that the name of Jesus, watch this, every knee should bow. How many knees? And every tongue would confess. How many tongues? Even the Romanians. I'm Romanian, so I... And it doesn't just mean every kind of language. It means every single tongue that's on the earth. Except for it goes beyond that. Look at the three realms where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. First, in heaven, all of the angelic forces and the redeemed will say what? Jesus is Lord. That makes sense. The next one's a little harder to think, isn't it? Every tongue on earth, every knee on earth, will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the third one, under the earth. The realm of the dead and the demonic. What? There is a universality to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that we should never miss and never forget. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no other like him. We were just singing about it a minute ago, Lord of heaven and earth. Do you remember that? It was a long time ago. I've been talking a long time. It was a long time ago. You just, what a beautiful truth. We need to add another verse. Lord of heaven and earth and under earth, but it doesn't, it doesn't rhyme real well, does it? It doesn't, doesn't flow with a, you know, a melodic a, a feel to it, but someone figure that out. Let's get under the earth in there. Your Bible is saying this, the hyperlifting of Jesus, proclaiming him Lord so that every knee and every tongue would confess has zero boundaries. It covers the heavens, it covers the earth, it covers under the earth, and no one will miss our Savior as our Lord, because He is Lord of all. I'll give you an example. Revelation chapter 5. Again, a glimpse in the future. Page 1031. We get to peel back and look in heaven here a little bit. 
Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, verse 11, and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Who are these people? These are the in heaven ones, right? And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they were all saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Sounds like they're recognizing he's Lord. So we open the pages of our Bible and we see from the very earliest pages to the last pages, it's pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord, creator, exalted higher than anyone ever before or since. And we get to call him friend. And we get to call him savior. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and whispers our names. What? You've got to be kidding. You see why it's important for us to get Jesus right. Two final thoughts. First, understanding who Jesus is confirms his position. You read this passage, you understand this passage, and you have confidence. Don't you feel a little more confident since you came to church this morning about who you've believed in? Don't you have some sense that I should, maybe I should put my shoulders back and go, I'm a child of the King of Kings. That's better than being under the President of the United States. or the former president of the United States, <laughs> or the other presidents of the Come on, you guys. This is all noise of the nations. The King of Kings is our Savior. And, and if we understand who he is, it builds confidence in the faith that we have that it's been placed in the right place. Go back to Philippians chapter 3 and watch how this flushes out in Paul's life as he just comes and he says in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ because nothing else is close. He's been hyper exalted. I get to go there with him. Verse 14, same chapter, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ, my Lord. Verse 20, 21, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ is who we wait for. You remember the hyper-exalted one, the one that came out of the grave, the one that didn't stay on earth? The one that was coronated king of kings, coming back. When he comes back, uh, he'll transform our lowly bodies to be like his by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. The immense power of the Lord of lords and kings of 
kings will be placed on you and you'll be transformed. And we don't know exactly what that is. You can kind of, oh, kind of, oh, I can't quite get there. My mind's not smart enough to grasp it. But Christ then becomes everything to all of us at all times. There are no close seconds here. Second final thought, understanding who Jesus is confirms our perspective. What do I mean by that? Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus showed me how to live on this earth. Jesus gives me hope in the midst of my suffering because exaltation will come for you too. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, Peter said in 1 Peter 2. He kept entrusting himself. You should keep entrusting yourself to him who judges righteously. You might not get a fair shake in the Supreme Court, but you'll get a fair shake in the real Supreme Court. Because the judge is your savior. You're going to show up. You're going to be, you know, someone's going to testify against you. And you're going to, he's going to go, well, hi, daughter. So good to see you. Hmm? Christ showed us how to suffer on this earth with the confidence in the one he could not even see. And as we understand who Jesus is, it confirms our perspective that he is worthy of our trust and our obedience. Hence, the title of the message, to Jesus, to know and to follow. The old hymn writer said it better than I can. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still in all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile will quickly drives it away. Not a doubt, nor a fear, nor a sigh, nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but toil he does richly repay. Not a grief, nor a loss, nor a frown, nor a cross but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, beloved, only trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you for highly exalting your Son. Our Savior, our King, our Lord, our friend. Give us the courage in the midst of this depraved world to trust and to obey to know and to follow. And in so doing, put on display your greatness as our Lord. Thank you for your kindness toward us. We deserve so little.
and you gave so much. We're grateful. May your name be praised for exalting the greatness of your son high and lifted up. Amen.